what's going on there. Our scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Ruth. And I'm giving you a homework assignment this week. Um, as, you, uh, as you have your uh, Thanksgiving break, and as you uh, take a, a little time to, um, to, for your life to get a little slower um, during, the, uh, during this, uh, this holiday break, I want you to find time to read the book of Ruth. It'll probably take you 15 to 20 minutes. It's about four chapters. Um, and we're going to talk about it this morning, and we're also going to talk about it next Sunday. And so I think, uh, I think you'll get a lot out of it if you, uh, if you take time sometime this week to read the book of Ruth. I chose Ruth for a couple of reasons. Um, one, it just chronologically, it comes after Joshua during the period of the judges. Um, but also, it's, it's a great, uh, it's a great um, story to read during autumn. It's, it takes place during the harvest time. And it's traditionally read uh, by um, Jewish people during the Harvest Festival of Shabbat. It also features a strong female protagonist, uh, which I thought was perfect for UMW Sunday. Um, it's a story about gratitude. It helps us get ready for Thanksgiving. And it all takes place in Bethlehem. And so as we transition from the ordinary year to Advent, it will help us fix our gaze towards Bethlehem. But the most important um, reason I think that uh, we're reading Ruth together is that it's a story about kindness. And let's face it, we live at a very unkind time. Um, I first noticed it uh, five or six years ago. Um, I was gigging uh, on this new site called YouTube and checking out videos. And um, I was checking out a VeggieTale video. Um, it's, uh, it's a cartoon about uh, uh, singing uh, tomato and cucumber to teach God's lessons. And so I was getting this little uh, where is my hairbrush clip. And I remember just reading the comment section under this, uh, this, this children's cartoon video and just how terrible the comments were. The YouTube comment section is a dark place. And um, there were just these all caps battles uh, between people. There were, you know, there were these atheists that were, that were getting on their keyboards and saying, you know, religion is just a fairy tale. It's, it's poisonous. It, it's responsible for all the bad in the world. And then uh, there, were, um, uh, there, there were Christians on their keyboard saying, well, you're going to hell, right? <laughs> Which, you know, uh, not sure that's the best comeback to that. <laughs> but the Internet has kind of turned us into sociopaths. Even our world leaders tweet insults at one another and belittle each other. We've just become kind of a mean people. We live in kind of an unkind time. When it really, really struck me was a month and a half ago. It feels like a year ago, but a month and a half ago, 
A man stood at the 32nd floor of the Mandalay Bay Casino and Resort and shot into a crowd of 22,000 people gathered there for a country music concert. And 59 people were dead, 527 were wounded. It was um, the uh, uh, largest mass shooting in U.S. history maybe a month and a half ago. Now, we're all shocked. We're all sad, but it only took hours for everyone to start arguing again. It only took a couple of hours for everyone to start arguing again. For everyone to start getting back on their phones and their computers and, and arguing about guns and the efficacy of thoughts and prayers and all the things we normally argue about. It only took a couple of hours. The bodies weren't even cold yet and we were arguing again. When did we become such a mean, unkind people? It wasn't always like this. I can remember when, when during national tragedies we all just sort of came together under one flag. And whether you voted for him or not, you turned on the TV and you, you, uh, you listened to the president's words of comfort. I can remember during 9-11, wasn't that long ago, but it feels like a lifetime ago, when Republicans and Democrats stood together on the Capitol steps, they held up candles and they sang, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound. And nowadays, we just see each other as enemies all the time. We've just been sliced and diced into ever smaller groups, and we've just drawn these border lines, and it's us versus them. Liberals versus conservatives, urban versus rural, Christian versus atheist, rich versus poor, black versus white, native versus immigrant, gay versus straight, police versus protesters, those who kneel versus those who stand, the Dallas Cowboys versus everybody else. It doesn't matter which side of that line you stand on. That's not the problem. What matters is the versus. Is that we've become a people that are always versus another people. We've stopped seeing each other as neighbors and started seeing each other as enemies. And we live in an unkind time. A time of tribalism time of brutality. And it's a time that to me seems not totally unlike the time of the judges. The time of the judges is when the story of Ruth takes place. The time of the judges is a period of about 400 years between the death of Joshua and the crowning of King David when Israel had no king. They were just 12 separate tribes and they were always fighting each other more than they were fighting their enemies. If you read the book of Judges, it's kind of terrible. It's kind of terrible. It's kind of like Game of Thrones without the dragons. It's just a real depressing, violent, bloody mess. At the beginning of the book of Judges, we're told that Israel had no king and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. 
It's not unlike our time today. The people in the, in the book of Judges were consumed with endless cycles of revenge, with war, with idolatry, with brutality, and each generation was worse than the last. And after 400 years, we're told Israel had no king and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. 400 years and not a single lesson was learned. But if we zoom in, we see something different. See, the book of Ruth takes that wide angle lens and it makes it smaller and it zooms in on one family in one small town. It zooms in on one ordinary woman who does an extraordinary thing. And I think in this unkind time, you and I can learn a lot from the kindness of a woman named Ruth. Hear now the word of our Lord. Ruth chapter 1. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And a man from Bethlehem and Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech. His wife's name was Naomi. And the name of his two sons were Malung and Kilian. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to Moab and lived there. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. And they had lived there about ten years. Both Malung and Kilian also died and Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. When she heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, Naomi and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there with her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show kindness to you as you have shown to your dad and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them, And they wept aloud and said to her, We will go back with you to your people. But Naomi said, Return home, my daughter. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait for them to grow up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters, it is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has gone out against me. At this they wept again. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, Don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God my God. 
Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if anything but death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. This is the word of God. May it find its way into our hearts and lives this morning by the power of his Holy Spirit. Amen. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine. So begins one of the most beautifully written stories in the entire Hebrew Bible. Ruth is a story that's full of... um, of uh, puns and um, literary imagination, full of uh, symbolism. And it's just a beautifully told story. And it begins with a famine in Bethlehem. Bethlehem literally means the house of bread. There was a famine in the house of bread. And a man named Elimelech and his two sons, Mayan and Killian, and his wife, Naomi, decide to leave Bethlehem, cross the border, and go to the country of Moab. Now, the book of Ruth starts out with a little bit of a trick on the reader. We're introduced to Elimelech. We're introduced to Elimelech's two sons, and we think that this story is starting out the way every other Bible story starts out. That it's going to be a story about men. And it's going to be a story that takes place in the time of the judges. And they're going to Moab, so it's probably going to be a story about men fighting other men. But then in the first paragraph, all the men die. And we're left with the story that's about Naomi and her two new Moabite daughters-in-law, Ruth and Orpah. And Ruth and Orpah uh, decide to go with Naomi Uh, when she uh, hears that the famine is over in Bethlehem and wants to go back to her people, Ruth and Orpah decide to go back with Naomi. And Naomi tries to dissuade them. She says, you know, your people are here. You can find husbands here where you're comfortable. You're not obligated to me anymore. Stay here. I'll go back to my people. And Ruth and Orpah, both Ruth and Orpah, decide to go with her. But then a second time, she uh, tries to turn them away. This time, Orpah goes back to her mother's household. But Ruth continues. Like like, Like that dog that keeps trying to follow you home and you can't quite shake. And, And Naomi tries to get rid of Ruth a third time. Go back to your mother's household. That's when Ruth says, Don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God my God. And where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. Ruth shows extraordinary kindness and an unkind time. And Ruth's story is a story about kindness, but it's it's about a special, special kind of kindness. It's about hesed. 
Hesed is a Hebrew word, and it appears over 200 times in the Hebrew Bible, and it's one of the most important words in the entire Bible. I know I'm always throwing Hebrew words at you, but this is an important word right here, Hesed, because Hesed describes God's character. It describes what God is like. And Hesed is a Hebrew word that's almost impossible to translate. Sometimes uh, it's translated as compassion. Sometimes it's translated as loyalty. Sometimes it's translated as mercy or kindness or faithfulness. Um, Usually it's either translated as steadfast love or loving kindness. But it's all this one word, Hesed, and this describes what God is like. This describes God's covenant loyalty to his people. How God never forsakes his people, no matter how many times they forsake him. And anyone who tells you that, that the God of the Old Testament is a God of wrath isn't paying attention to the story. Because all over the Hebrew Bible, we're told time and time again that God is not a God of wrath. He is a God of hesed. He is a God of compassion, mercy, faithfulness, steadfast love, covenant loyalty, loving kindness. We're told in Numbers 14, 18, that the Lord is compassionate and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in hesed. In Psalm 57.10, it says, Great is your hesed, O Lord. It reaches to the heavens. Psalm 33.5 says, He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the hesed of the Lord. Isaiah says, The mountains may depart and the hills be moved, but my hesed shall never leave you. You probably recognize this from Psalm 23. Surely goodness and hesed will follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. See, God is a God of hesed, compassion, mercy, faithfulness, steadfast love, covenant loyalty, loving kindness. And hesed not only describes God, but it describes God's people. What you and I are to be to our neighbors. The most famous example of this is Micah 6.8. What does the Lord require of you but that you do justice, love kindness, is how we translate it, but it's literally do hesed. Do justice, do hesed, and walk humbly with your God. In Bible study, we've been talking about um, uh, uh, the book of Matthew. We've been reading the book of Matthew. And we've discovered, because uh, he mentions it two or three times, that Jesus' favorite Bible verse is uh, Hosea 6.6. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. The word he uses there is hesed. I desire hesed, not sacrifice. I desire that my people, rather than sacrifice offerings to me, that they show compassion to one another, mercy, faithfulness, steadfast love, covenant loyalty, loving kindness. See, Ruth is an example to us of what Hesed looks like in the real world, of what Hesed looks like in an unkind time, of what Hesed looks like in action. 
Ruth's kindness takes her past her own borders. She says to Naomi, your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Now, changing your God in ancient times is, is about more than just, uh, just choosing a different religion or switching denominations. It's about more than that. For the Moabite people, their national god was Chemosh. And when they went into battle, they followed the banner of Chemosh. And when, when they prayed for their nation, they prayed to Chemosh. And for Ruth to say, now I'm going to pray for Yahweh, is to renounce her citizenship, is to renounce her heritage, is to renounce her people so that she can follow Naomi to Bethlehem. She goes beyond her borders. She says, where you die, I will die, and there be buried. In the ancient world, that was an even bigger deal, to be buried with your family and your home country. In, in the Bible, uh, whenever someone is buried, they call it being gathered to your fathers. I'm going to go be gathered to my fathers. Um, we talked last week about Joshua. He gives this big speech to the people at Shechem. Choose this day whom you will serve, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Immediately after that speech, after that covenant ceremony, they go and they bury Joseph's bones there in Shechem. Now Joseph, the son of Jacob, who is the son of Isaac, who is the son of Abraham, Joseph's bones had remained in a box in Egypt for 400 years of slavery. It was carried with the people 40 years in the wilderness, and, and, and it was taken care of through 20 years of conquest until it could finally be buried in Shechem. That's how important it was to be buried with your fathers. And Ruth says... Where you die, I will die. And where you are buried, I will be buried. Ruth agrees to go to Bethlehem to cross the border, not knowing how she'll be received there. See, as far as I can tell, the book of Ruth is the only positive depiction of a Moabite in the entire Bible. Anywhere else you read about Moabites in the Bible... Um, they're bad news, they're trouble. Um, they're, they're considered to be a hostile people, a people that do shameless acts. Um, according to the book of Genesis, the, 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 the Moabites um, are the product of incest. Deuteronomy 23.3 says that uh, Moabites are banned from the assembly of the Lord until the 10th generation because they're considered so hostile and shameful a people. Ruth was a Moabite wife, traveling over a border into a land that hated Moabites and had laws against foreign wives. She did not know how she would be received there. But her said. Her compassion, her mercy, her faithfulness, her steadfast love, her covenant loyalty, her loving kindness carrying her 
across the border. So the challenge lies to us. Will we let our kindness take us across borders? Physical borders. When we fill up those flood buckets and, and we send them across state borders uh, to, uh, to hurricane relief zones, that's kindness going across borders. When we fill up those shoe boxes, we're going to send them across national borders to people we don't know whose language we don't speak. That's kindness going across borders. That's his said. But I wonder if for us, the harder borders to get across are not the state and national borders, it's the borders we've drawn between each other. Those borders we were talking about earlier between us and them, those versus borders. I wonder if it's harder for us to cross those borders and show kindness. Borders that might run right down the streets of Ryanair, Virginia. The story about uh, uh, a monk who, uh, he's, he's a hermit out in the woods. He's got a little hermitage. A, um, a uh, tattered vagabond shows up uh, one night needing a place to stay, looking for hospitality. And um, the monk gets in conversation with this man and finds out he's an atheist and a pagan. And so he tells him to, to uh, go on his way. That night, according to the story, the monk has a dream. And in the dream, God asks him, why did you not show hospitality to, that, to uh, that stranger that came your way? And the monk says to God, that stranger was an atheist and a pagan. How could I put up with that under my roof? And God says, I have put up with that man for 62 years. You could not put up with him for one night? Think about that for a second. There is a big white chair up in heaven. One person gets to sit on it. I'll give you a hint. It ain't me and it ain't you. Our job is to show loving kindness beyond borders. Our job is to show loving kindness, maybe so that we can pull people across those borders to where they belong. But we can't do it if we're turning people away because we can't abide them under our roof. But not only does Ruth go beyond her borders, she goes far and beyond what could reasonably be expected of her. She goes far and above what could reasonably be expected of her. See, Orpah sometimes uh, gets a bad rap. Um, one way to preach this sermon is to talk about all of Orpah's negative characteristics and talk about all of, uh, of Ruth's positive characteristics and say, be a Ruth, not an Orpah, right? Uh, um, the uh, the um, Jewish rabbis had, had a legend that... Uh, that Orpah, as soon as she left Naomi, um, she went and found a Philistine husband and uh, became the mother of Goliath. It's a pretty rough story, right? But Orpah is not a bad person. Orpah does, does exactly what is expected of her. She makes an effort to follow Naomi, 
Naomi uh, releases her from that burden, and she goes back to her mother. It's what any of us kind, decent Christian people would do. The point of the story is not that Orpah is, is some kind of negative example. The point of the story is that Ruth goes above and beyond what could possibly be expected. She goes above and beyond. She shows has said, compassion, mercy, faithfulness, steadfast love, covenant loyalty, loving kindness to her mother-in-law, Naomi. Do you know someone like that? Someone in your life who has shown you that above and beyond kindness that you simply just don't deserve? Do you know someone like that? I was in my 20s. I was newly married. Um, just two years married. Nora Grace was about two years old. And I was working in a, uh, a home cooking restaurant called Thelma's Place. And I was in the dish room. Don't let me anywhere near the oven, as you all know. Um, I was in the dish room at Thelma's Place. And um, Ted and Thelma were the uh, owners of the establishment. Uh, Thelma took care of the cooking, and, and Ted sort of, uh, sort of ran the business side. And Ted was so nice to me just by giving me that job because I didn't have any experience working in a restaurant. And um, it was a time in my life I was just starting out, and I really needed the money. And, uh, and he also gave me a place to live. Um, his, uh, his, his mother had passed away. They still had the house that she lived in. And he let me and my family live in that house and pay $500 rent a month. Now, that's a cheap deal. Um, it, it's hard to find a house to rent for $500 a month, let alone one that was kept up as nice as this. And uh, I remember Christmas time coming around and I needed to ask Ted for a week and a half off so I could uh, go home and be with my family during Christmas. And um, I kind of thought he was going to give me a couple of days off, right? Um, not really a week and a half off. But I kind of came there hat in hand. Um, you know, sir, uh, I want to thank you for everything you've done for me and my family. Could I please have a week and a half off at Christmas so I can go home and see my folks? And um, Ted said, sure, no problem. And then he pulled me close. Hey, Danny, every month you give me $500 for rent. Um, in December, I want you to keep that $500. And I want you to go out and I want you to um, go get a Christmas present for your wife and for that little baby girl of yours. above and beyond. I was like, I wasn't that good a dishwasher. I didn't deserve that, right? And then Christmas Eve, we come home from the Christmas Eve service. Um, uh, my, uh, uh, the little house there, and we've got all the presents that I went out and got with that $500, and there, uh, under the tree, Ted had let himself in. 
and there was a red regular flyer wagon um, for Nora Grace, and in that wagon was a Christmas ham. Have you experienced that before? That kind of just over-the-top generous kindness that you don't deserve? That's his said. That's compassion. That's mercy. That's faithfulness. Steadfast love. Covenant loyalty. Loving kindness. That's who we are called to be. So here we are. Yes, it's an unkind time. Yes, it's, it's an unkind world out there. But we're different. We're kind people. When it's us versus them, when it's whose side are you on, we're the ones that are called to be like Ruth. We're the ones that are called to go past our borders. We're the ones who are called to go above and beyond what could reasonably be expected. We're the ones who are called like Ruth to show compassion, to be merciful, to be faithful, to have steadfast love for our neighbor, to show loyalty, loving kindness, has said. In the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.